Sometimes I under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. Good afternoon, folks. Welcome back and happy Tuesday. It is time for the uh, Torah Teachers Roundtable Tanakh edition. And as you know, this is a show where we spend some time talking about the other books in the Bible that don't get quite as much play because they're either not part of the annual Torah cycle or in uh, some cases part of Isaiah is, part is not, but the uh, the Haft Torah cycle as well. What we've been doing, of course, is working our way through the prophets. And uh, right now we are well into the book of uh, Yeshayahu or Isaiah the prophet. And as we've been talking about, he is uh, literally the name means the salvation of Yah, and that, of course, describes the function. So um, we're at this point into about chapter 10, and we're welcoming again uh, Ray Harrison to be with us. And he has a background in a number of things. I've uh, been studying Torah for a long time, and, of course, uh, also music, as we learned last week. So uh, it's good to have him on board with us again. Uh, in any case, uh, let's uh, let's say good afternoon first to Mark Patron, and uh, let him kind of kick it off. We'll, uh, we'll look at chapter 10, but um, anything you want to add? Before we uh, before we start the reading, there, MP. Uh, no, not really. Except, hello, how y'all doing out there? Okay. And well, then in that case, Ray, <laughs> how about you? Good afternoon. How you doing? I would echo that hello to everybody out there in Radio Land. <laughs> glad that uh, glad to be here. All right. Well, we're glad to have. It's great to have you. So let's let's read on. We uh, we've been talking about uh, a number of elements that um, I uh, I think are um, well perhaps not surprising if we understand the uh, the two houses and the fact that uh, both of them have gone into bondage. And I think this uh, first part of chapter ten is going to kind of reiterate that theme because it says this: Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees. Can you kind of hear the uh, the shaking knees in the swamp? Who write misfortune, which they have prescribed, to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. Matter of fact, they create the fatherless and then rob them. Um, nowadays, anyway, maybe in those days it wasn't quite as bad, but it's uh, <laughs> the parallels here is what leaps off the page at me, guys, as I'm going through it. What will you do oh, yeah. in the day of punishment? Okay, yeah. What will you do in the day of punishment, he asked, and in the desolation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your glory? Without me, they shall bow down among the prisoners, and they shall fall among the slain. For all his anger, his, uh, for all this, he says, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. So, uh, MP, let's go to you first. Any, any comments on there? Uh, I think it's clear that this is, uh, this is setting up for a lot of stuff that, uh, like Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, and we're seeing some prophecy that does that as well. But anyway, uh, your comments on the first few verses here. Yeah, it surely does. Yeah, I'll cover verses 1 to 4 here. And uh, <clears throat> So I see chapter 10, by the way, as an extension, continuation of chapter 9, uh, and I'm 
going to read uh, the last couple of verses of chapter 9 just to show you how it works. Anyway, uh, here it goes. Uh, begin in verse 18. The wickedness, for wickedness burns as a fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mount up the lifting up of smoke. Through the wrath of Yahzebaoth in the land darkened, is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, and he shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. Menashe, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Menashe, they together against Yehuda. For all this, his anger is not turned away, Yah's hand stretched out still. Okay, Stones Tanakh has a comment on verse 1, and they say this. Yeshayahu addresses dishonest judges and others who use the judicial process to enrich themselves unlawfully. Has that been going on this long? My goodness gracious, I know they do it now. Anyway, as bad as the situation would get, the conditions as they were would and will cause the children of Israel to literally cannibalize their own people. Every man his brother or sister, Menashe Ephraim, and Ephraim Menashe, Yosef and Asenath's twin sons cannibalizing each other. That's Yosef and Asenath's kids were Menashe and Ephraim, and they're he's talking about these cousins eating the, each other. Don't begin to think that they would spare their parents, their sisters, their wives, or even their own children if they got hungry enough. Hunger will drive a human to do what would, under normal circumstances, be to him unthinkable. Seriously, have you ever seen a, a, a dog eat another dog, okay, because they were that hungry? I have seen that. It's amazing. Anyway, verses 1 and 2 tell us just how badly hunger can influence a human being to do whatever it would take to keep him or herself from death. Exactly who will be decreeing unrighteous decrees? which they have prescribed, even the highest government officials, probably both ecclesiastical and royal, will be making decrees that will be favorable to their own bellies, both stomachic and spiritual. These Stomachs, okay? <laughs> These kinds of situations will be coming much sooner than we might think if events keep going the way they are. And I'm talking about in our culture right now. Think about what's happening in Israel, Gaza, or Ukraine, where there are next to no men of military age left alive. I'm talking about in Ukraine. There are no military men left alive, okay, of military age. They're, they're bringing the women in. They're, they're bringing whomever they can in to fight against the, the Soviets. It's absolutely disgusting. Anyway, the vast majority of the farmland in the European breadbasket has been bombed into oblivion. It will take years to come back, perhaps a decade or two. Ukraine has absorbed almost the complete annihilation of their military age, that is 16 to 40-year-old men. So Ukraine is much worse off than Russia, which has lost 9,000, maybe, total men. After Russia finally gets, gets Zelensky to capitulate, Russia will reabsorb them and take back the European breadbasket which is going to take a lot of renovating. Now look at what's happening in Gaza, 
remember that you kind of swallow the ayin in Gaza, okay? And then pronounce the rest of the word. <clears throat> Israeli war front. Both sides are taking a lot of casualties, but Gaza is nearly desolated as I type. The Israeli commandos are among the best in the world, and they are taking heavy casualties, but nothing like the Gazites are taking. The woe that is prescribed for the oppressors of Yah's people, in verses 1 through 4 at least, issue unrighteous, that is, aven, to exert oneself in vain, decrees, chekek, as laws being cut into stone, likely to ensure their endurance, and write, that is, chetav, a document, record or prescribe. The purpose of the prescribed decrees documents in verse 1 is to better their position, either societal or governmental. In other words, to ensure the power of the officials who are issuing the decrees in verse 1, and to ensure that the needy get turned aside, have no real representation in government, and lose all their Yah-given rights in society. Don't look now, folks, but I think Yah is going to come down hard on the freeloading oppressors. I think I shared this with you in my comments on chapter 9, but it bears repeating. Uh, this is on uh, the last four verses of chapter 9. The terrible indictment of the preceding paragraphs is continued here. Notice the awful monotony of the refrain in Isaiah 9.12, 9.17, 9.21, and Isaiah 10.4. Internal anarchy spread with the rapidity of prairie fire. Jealousy and distrust awoke murderous hatred. Even the ties of brotherhood would not avail to arrest the knife of the assassin. In the horrors of starvation, men would consume their own flesh in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 20. Civil strife would exhaust the forces which, combined with Yah's blessing, might have arrested the invader. The weak would become the spoil of the strong, and there would be no appeal. When pathetic questions are suggested, what pathetic questions are suggested in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 3? What will ye do? To whom will ye flee? See Hebrews 9, 26 to 28. What hope is there for the soul that has, that has known and refused the, the offer of forgiveness in Yeshua? Dear soul, make haste to the cleft of the rock. That is from F.B. Meyer's uh, Christian commentary quoted from the the Esword X. Um, uh, F. B. Myers is a is a pretty good commentary, and I'm going to use it a, f a few times here today. That's what I got on verses one and two. If you'd like to uh, touch on. Hey, well, Ray, do you, do you want to add anything, or where would you like to go? I've talked long enough. Uh, the the one point that I had, and I think Mark may have just touched on it a bit. There is one line that uh, recurs over and over. We just uh, finished with it, uh, and that is, even after all this, the, I'm in 10-4, uh, even after all this, his anger remains, an upright hand still threatens. That's the fourth utterance of that nearly verbatim. Back in 9-21, we see it. In 9-17, we see it. And in 9.12, I believe, if I've counted correctly, we first see it. And it ha just has a way of punctuating 
in, in each of these instances, more atrocities are pointed out. More, uh, he's, he's, he's calling, he's bringing the Assyrians to do, to do what he will have them do. And he's describing what's going to come. And then we hear, even after all this, his anger still remains. That is truly a sobering thing to consider. Um, and as surely as this has happened in the past, as you say, history does not uh, repeat itself necessarily, but it really rhymes well. That we wonder when when this begins to happen in our day, what this is going to begin to look like, because it's nearly unimaginable when you think about what we've just read in uh, chapter 9 and chapter 10, and it and unfortunately gets worse as we read on. Absolutely. Exactly. All right. Well, are we ready to read on then? We'll find out. Um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to hit on verses 3 and 4 if you don't mind. Go ahead. I haven't done that yet. This will only take a, a couple of minutes. Please. Uh, I continue with Azamra's comments on verses 1 and 4, 1 through 4. It says, Woe to them that decree unrighteous decrees. Chapter 10 is a new section in the series of interrelated prophecies that started at the beginning of chapter 7 with a description of the attack on Judah by the uh, kingdoms of Aram and Israel uh, early in the reign of King Ahaz and which runs in until the end of chapter 12. In the earlier sections, Isaiah's message was that Yehuda did not have to fear those two kingdoms because they would be conquered by Assyria. While the section in chapter 9 and verses 7 through 20, he depicted the coming exile of the ten tribes. The opening section of our present chapter, verses 1 to 4, explains the essential reason why the ten tribes were exiled. Because of the rampant injustice and the oppression of the fatherless and widows, which they practiced in verses 1 and 2. However, they would find themselves helpless on the day of visitation with the desolation that would come from afar, in verse 3. The Hebrew word for desolation is Shoah, which is today used to refer to the Holocaust. In retribution for their injustice, they would be imprisoned in exile and there die. But for all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is still outstretched, is what it says in verse 4. This is the same refrain as in the previous chapter, verses 12, 16, and 20. Notice that the day of visitation, that is Yom, I can't make it out, uh, Pakad, Pakad rather is the, uh, is the root, to invest with purpose or responsibility, day of visitation. And Shoah is the desolation, are of one and the same source. The words visitation and desolation seem to refer to the same object and, and come from afar, a long distance. Again, I think of Russia-Ukraine as a possible source for all of this, especially with the chumminess of Putin and Xi. I don't think Putin is, re, is really enamored with Xi, but Biden just turned America's back on Putin and then financed Zelensky. So that's where that came from. To whom will you flee for hope? Where will you leave your glory? G? Maybe. Okay. 
<laughs> That's what I got through verse four. Okay, uh, so uh, Ray, unless you got anything else, are we ready to read on? Go ahead. Okay, so now we're going to talk about a uh, another theme that has appeared before in Scripture, and um, I think um, I think this really does a nice job of laying out something that maybe isn't as clear until we see the prophet Isaiah lay it for us. Woe to Assyria, he says, the rod of my anger. And the staff in whose hand is my indignation. So I guess the theme here is uh, he is once again pointing out how he will use pagan nations, nations that aren't necessarily on his, uh, you know, uh, my favorites list to do things that need doing. I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey. And to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Yet he does not mean so, nor does his, nor does his heart think so, but it's in his heart to destroy and cut off not a few nations. For he says, are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Calno like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Syria like Damascus? As my hand has found the kingdoms of the idols, whose carved images excelled those of Jerusalem and Samaria. Remember, Jerusalem and Samaria, the northern kingdom, the ten lost tribes, have fallen into uh, idolatry and are deserving of the judgment that's coming here. So as I have done to Samaria and her idols, he says, shall I not do also to Jerusalem and her idols? So he's asking the question, time frame wise, we're talking about it happened to the northern kingdom. They were sent into exile. They were as promised as uh, Moshe and others have promised, but especially Moses. They are deserving of this wrath, this judgment. They're going to get it. And it happened first in the north and then in the south. So uh, here we are. All right, uh, Ray, let's let you go first this time if you'd like. Uh, if you'd like, you don't have to, I guess. If you, I, no, that's all right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for it here. Software issue. Yes, uh, I, I just underscore what you said here. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. In other words, Assyria is being used as his tool of correction. Uh, and uh, you're absolutely right. He uses nations. Uh, to, 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 uh, enact his will and to do what he needs to do with them. Later on, we'll read that, uh, he basically says, you know, don't, don't think you're, don't think yourselves too great and too good and too big and too bad. Remember, I'm the one that's, I'm the one that's leading you through all of this. But it's interesting how at, at, at this juncture, he's, uh, talking about the Assyrian, uh, uh invasion and also, uh, what the, what his intent is for them to do uh, as we uh, as the story unfolds. Very good. Okay, MP. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's touch on verse five here. The uh, Treasury Scripture Knowledge says that the opening of this verse, O Assyrian, uh, is literally translated as "Woe to Asher." Um, so that's interesting. Stones Tanakh has the Hebrew as Hoy Ashur and actually translates it as Woe to Asher, where KJV translates it O Assyrian. Okay, so the KJV didn't get it quite right. You may remember that we were originally introduced to Asher in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 11 as a son of Nimrod, son of Cush, 
son of Ham, Noach's son, who uncovered Noach's nakedness to his brothers. So Asher is one of those who has received Noach's curse. I do not know how many Ashurians or Assyrians will follow after Yah, but I have to think it will not be many, if any. The Assyrian, Ashurian, in chapter 10, must be a forerunner and perhaps a direct ancestor of the most wicked of all men in human history, Anti-Mashiach, who may be alive right now, judging by the worldwide state of affairs. If he isn't yet, it cannot be very far off until he is revealed to Yah's faithful, like Mark Caller Ray, or even maybe me. Azamra's comment on verse 5 and following is very good, and I'm going to read that for you here. Having concluded this prophecy about the exile of the ten tribes, Isaiah turns in verses 5 through 19 to their Assyrian conquerors, who, after having been emboldened by their earlier successes, would, in the reign of Hezekiah, set Jerusalem as their target. While it may seem that these prophecies deal with long-past historical events, they are highly relevant to us today because of our sages have taught, in Sanhedrin 94a, Sennacherib's advance, advance against Jerusalem was the prototype of the destined attack of Gog Umagog in the days end of days, while Hezekiah's role was messianic. Isaiah teaches in these prophecies uh, can thus provide us with a timely lessons as to how we should see and respond to the protracted campaign of the nations of the world against Israel today. And we're not talking about just Israel, the nation, the nation state, but Israel all over the place. We are a part of Israel ourselves. Now, <clears throat> woe Assyria, rod of my wrath, in verse 5. The prophet is teaching us that the nations that rise up against Israel are nothing but Elohim's rod of chastisement. And this is exactly how we must view Iran, Syria, the Palestinians, Hezbollah, and all the others who persecute Israel today. They are the Amen. rod of Yah's anger against backslidden, unfaithful Israel. Is that close enough to the nightly news of the last one and two-thirds months for you? It is for me. And this was probably written by Rob Greenbaum years ago. At Azamra. If this is this the warm-up for the prophesied Gog Umagog war? Well, see when Russia's army is no longer fighting the Ukraine. I assume you have noticed that Ukraine is sending its women into battle against Russia's top-of-the-line soldiers. Zelensky is going to prosecute this war until he has no one left but himself to fight Russia, which will never happen. He's a punk who got called while all he's got in his hand is a cockeyed Jack and Sleepy Joe. If the surveillance satellites show the Russian army being transported south to join a Chinese force being de uh, transported west, you can bet your bippy, remember uh, Ron and Martin laughing, <laughs> that we have entered at least the precursor events of the end of days. Let me say that one more time. If the surveillance satellites show the Russian army being transported south to join the Chinese force being transported west, we have entered the, la the at least the precursor events of the end of days. I, I can't see it any other way. Now, 
Last, ver- last thing on verse 5. Think of October 7th and the start of the war in the land. As we speak, we could, and I think we are, in the end of days war of Gog Umagog that will uh, lead us to Armageddon, Armageddon unless Yah intervenes. But the timing is just about right, I'm, in my not-so-humble opinion. And all y'all know what those are like. Everybody has one, and they all stink. Opinions. Okay, <laughs> that's what I got through verse 5. Hey. Right. Well, that was pretty good, Mark. You took us to the break. So we'll be right back, folks, after the soon, I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown. But I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know something either or turn around because all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that we don't want to fight no more, there'll be no more wars, and our children will pay. Do 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 dum do be do dum dum. All right, welcome back, folks, to the second segment now of the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Tanakh edition. We're talking about the book of Yeshayahu, or Isaiah, chapter 10, and um, we're uh, not quite to the middle of the chapter at this point. So uh, let's see, Mark, were you finished when we hit the bottom of the hour? I was. Okay, well, with that, then, I think what I'll do is continue to read on. I talked to Ray during the break, and uh, he didn't have anything to add here either, But because um, I think I think it's pretty clear. Um, Therefore, he continues in yeah. verse 12, it'll come to pass. Where where are we at in the in the? We've read through verse 11. As I have done to Samaria and her idols. I haven't commented anywhere near verse 11 yet. Well, I okay, <laughs> then you're not done. Okay, thought you were. Go ahead. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I can get there. We'll just take a couple of minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, here we go. Yeah, verses uh, 6 through 11. Um, F.B. Meyer, uh, that's Esort X's uh, commentator, there, and, he, and he's a pretty good one. He's a Christian commentator. Uh, comments on verses 6 through 11 below, and here's what he has to say. The question is addressed to the Assyrian invader, described as Elohim's staff and rod. He has the means of inflicting deserved penalty on the world of that or any age, and especially on the chosen people. He had no thought of this, but considered himself free to wreak his will without reference to the higher power whose agent he was. But the ruthless manner in which he carried out his work was destined to come under the divine judgment. And we'll see that in Isaiah chapter 10 and verses 12 to 15. <clears throat> now, when Hamas started the latest insurrection invasion of Israel, 
It was a total surprise to the people of Israel, and quite possibly the rank-and-file Plishtim in Gaza as well. The Gazites may have been happier than the Israelites, but I think that even the average Gazites were surprised. The smarter of the Gazites were not happy, but uh, they were not dejected either. All the Plishtim Gazites were almost as taken unawares by the coordinated attacks as were Israel's just plain folk. Only the people in the know, in other words, all the right-wing Muslims who knew what was coming and they actually kept their yap shut about it, or Israel, would have been ready to bomb, strafe, and probably neuter their opponents. Um, here's uh, This is from uh, TSK. Uh, if Elohim sends them against a hypocritical nation, verse 6. Uh, that's uh, And you can check that out on Isaiah uh, chapter 9 and verse 16. Uh, they cover the same thing. In order to rebuke and chastise it. But they imagine that they have the power and the license to cut off Israel completely. Thus Sennacherib thought that Jerusalem would prove to be just one more nation for him to conquer like all the idolatrous nations over whom Elohim gave him victory. Now, that's the end of the quote from uh, TSK. Who is the hypocritical nation and the people of his wrath, this is me talking now, against whom Yah is sending Hamas, the Assyrian, okay, or the Assyrian? Israel is the only one that comes readily to mind, unless that also includes the U.S. of A., which is a viable possibility in the end of days aspect of the prophecy. It must say, or rather I must say, that there are few nations on the earth who are more hypocritical than the United States of America, especially under the present administration in Washington, D.C. in 2023 uh, CE, with his uh, senile figurehead, who uh, wasn't too bright when he was young either, whose immediate replacement is now no more than a cackling idiot. Without handlers, neither of them would be where they are. The 2000 election was, uh, 2020 election rather, was absolutely rigged. No one who cares to ri- or rip about the U.S. of A. would have voted for either of them, much less the whole ticket. Now, that's my commentary on where we're at right now. We. Verse 7 says that the Assyrian doesn't mean to tread down in verse 6. That would be to march over in uh, around 700 BCE or to drive over with a tracked vehicle in our present day. Okay, that's what we're talking about, to tread down. Tread them down is but one word in the underlying Hebrew, and that is merimas, which is from the Hebrew root 7429, ramas, to trample in order to crush. Assyria would just march over as Hamas, or Israel, Russia, Ukraine, U.S. of A., will just grind into the ground under their tanks' treads their enemies' corpses, okay? They're going to be, they're just going to, they're going to grip, just tear them up and bury them. The point of that is to tell any survivors or leaders of the conquered forces to not mess with them, or this will be their end. Nothing distinguishable to bury. Okay, I'm, that's what I got through verse 7. I would like to uh, break there and give you guys a shot. 
Okay. Um, Red, do you have any comments? I, 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 uh, I, again, Mark, I'd like to let you connect some dots there. If, it, it may, maybe it's clear, but I'm not sure exactly. You seem to be headed somewhere. Okay. Well, uh, let me, uh, I'll, I'll give you another paragraph here. Um, verses uh, 8 and 9 has the Assyrian asking the survivors, the dead can't see, hear or in any way perceive, okay? So the Assyrian is asking the survivors, what was the outcome of fighting against this victor? Don't you know that my princes are better fighting men than your kings ever were? Think. Do not mess with me, is, the, is what he basically said to the Israeli um, uh, survivors. If only the Assyrian had thought this in relation to Yah, he or his descendants might still be with us today. Here's a cross-reference to future encounter with Assyria. In Isaiah chapter 36 and verse 8, Now therefore give pledges, I pray thee, to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give thee 2,000 horses, if thou be able to, on thy part to set riders upon them. I think the Assyrian commander didn't have 2,000 horses to fulfill the offer, but I also don't think Israel had that many men who were able-bodied enough to fill them. Okay? What we're talking about is what Russia has done to Assyria, or, or to uh, Ukraine, rather, is very similar to what Assyria did to Egypt or Israel here. Okay? They, that they literally tore Israel up. And that is what Russia has done to Ukraine. Ukraine has no fighting men left. Okay? They're sending in old men and women to fight the Russians. It's absolutely crazy. Cannon fodder, sure. We should never have allowed Zelensky to get a football in the United States of America. That's what I've got through verse 9. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Ray, if you've got anything you want to add. I know you said you were, uh, uh, there's, there's, you wanted to read a little further ahead <laughs> sooner rather than later, but anything here? I, I, I can only, I can, ec I can echo what, uh, MP is saying. Just, just in, just in terms of the, uh, uh, the way that all of this is, 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 is prophesied yet to come. Uh, the, certainly, uh, as we've been looking and, and one thing that, that is coming to my mind, and I don't know if it, if, uh, if you have any comment, maybe here is not the right place for this. Have any of you been watching the weather? in the Middle East over the course of the last three weeks. Do you have any idea of the catastrophic kinds of, of things that it's going on over there? And this can only be the Lord's work. I, I don't even think we're good enough at, at uh, WeatherMod uh, to be able to do some of this. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, it was last week that a storm came off the Black Sea so fiercely in Socha that, I mean, you could see... Uh, 30 foot waves crashing over the breakwaters and into the in I mean it, it just it, it's crazy and uh, into Ukraine yes wow. okay yes I yes. Seen uh, that. and uh, the the weather also in uh, various cities in Turkey uh, again coming off the Mediterranean and the and the Black Sea uh, there were swarms of locusts in Mecca I mean just swarms. At the yeah. uh, 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 you know, why can't I think it? At the Baca, the 
as they're all parading around. There's there's just really 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 crazy stuff in. Uh, is it in Qatar? I don't know. Yeah, Qatar, right? Yes, yes. The the I don't know if you where where I I believe it's the world's largest building is or tallest building I should say. Yeah. Tallest yeah. Building. There were photographs of several weeks ago. The the uh, those streets were. Absolutely, so deep that you couldn't see the top of the buses. The, the, there's there's something really crazy going on over there in that regard. And I, 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 the only reason I bring all this up at this point in time is that uh, it, it's not just what what the men of the world are doing um, to to uh, irritate the the Almighty. There there's 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 more going on. There there is. Uh, 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 judgment is being poured out on lots of different levels, I guess, is, is at least my read on it. Oh, absolutely. Anybody who is backing uh, Hamas against Israel right now is working against Yah himself. Okay? Now, yeah. that's, that's not to say that, the, that Israel is all that in a bag of chips, because they're not. But uh, the fact is that they are Yah's people. Okay? And yes. So, and so you you just don't you you don't mess with Israel really and truly, even if they if they haven't got even one weapon beyond a beyond a staff, you don't mess with Israel because well, Yah is going to come to their aid eventually. Okay? Let me let and me point this out, MP. I don't, so here's here's where I may yeah. I may add something before you go too far, and that is uh, this is something I've made a, a, as clear as I can before. Anyway, do not confuse the land of Israel with the people that are essentially occupying it at this point. They may or may not be descendants. They may or may not keep Torah. Some do. Many don't. But in terms of uh, an understanding that uh, Israel has been in the wrong before, that's what this chapter is saying, and that's what is clear here. When they need Absolutely. judgment, he will judge them. And so um, and he uses pagan nations to do that. So uh, I'm, I'm always a little bit careful because, as you know, there are some people that will say, oh, Israel, Israel. And um, the question is, uh, well, I'll put it this way. Uh, Israel of the Bible has very little to do with the Torah, kind of like the Constitution of the United States no longer applies to this nation, which now occupies the territory once held by those who said that there were certain self-evident truths. Right. So we got to be real careful about some of the distinctions. Anyway, that's all I had to add. Go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the the, uh, the people of Israel are not uh, are not mainly uh, followers of Yah. They're mainly just descendants of the of the Israel from way back when. Physical descendants. Well, but, and, and uh, there would be some but, that would argue yeah. that, but that's a different story entirely. Besides. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I get it. But, um, yeah, I, I, I see them as that, and I could be wrong, but, you know, I doubt it, because I doubt that I'm ever wrong. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah, they, they're, uh, they, I, I've got, um, I've got uh, a, a, my daughter-in-law of my son who lives in Colorado is a Jewess, okay? Her, her father was, was a, uh, he was a, German Jew. His mother was a German Jew. They, uh, he was born in Israel. He came to the United States to study medicine. Okay, he met his wife when he went back to work as a doctor in Israel. 
when she went there as a as a German uh, descendant of the Holocaust, okay, um, to serve Israel. And they met in the hospital and all that. And my daughter-in-law comes along, along with two other daughters and three brothers, okay? All of the other siblings are in Israel as we speak. The husbands of the daughters and all of the sons are in the reserve right now fighting for Israel. Okay, so that's one of the reasons I've asked for prayer for them in particular. Um, they're all of the Moore family, M-O-R, is how, the, how it's spelled. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, they're, they're really nice people. They're really nice people. But uh, the father is also an Israeli citizen because his mother was an Israeli citizen. He was born in Ecuador. Okay, anyway, all of these people are over there, and they are fighting for the nation's life. And, uh, that, you know, they didn't start it, so all they, can do is, all they can do is defend themselves and try to stop the aggression from uh, the, the, the Arabs. That's, and they've got all of the Arab nations uh, working against them. Almost all of them, anyway. I don't know if there there might be one or two that are not. Egypt is staying out of it, I think, and that's about it. It's it's not good what's going on over there. Yes, anyway. I, I believe the the uh, the Saudis are also trying to trying not to participate. Right at, at, at this point, yeah. At this point, yeah. Right, but but in the meanwhile, you know, that's just not participation. Okay, it's not they. They're, they're Israel has no real allies other than the United States, and the United States is not going to get involved in a lot of the fighting if uh, unless oh well, they'll send uh, kids to die. Joel I'm sure. Stupider than I thought. Yeah, I'm sorry. Is that again, Mark? I said they'll they'll send kids to die, and uh, you know, as to that, the only thing I could add is Joe is stupider than you think because I don't think anybody. <laughs> uh, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. I, there's a line that I remember yeah. from, from Robert Heinlein as a kid growing up. I've quoted it before. He says, never underestimate the power of human stupidity. And I think that's a good thing to remember in such a time as this. <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah, you can't make this stuff up. That's right. Okay. No, as a matter of fact, can you imagine if someone was able to make this stuff up, how great an author that would be? <laughs> Well, <laughs> nobody believe him. <laughs> yeah. Louis Lamour was able to do that, but he was a cowboy kind of guy, you know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> where are we at? I think we're at verse 10. Yeah, I was trying you to read on through 10. verse 12. So when you're ready, MP, just tell us and we'll continue. Okay, you have read through 12, is that correct? I read up to 12. Okay. Then I will cover 10 through 12 now. Azamra has this salient note on verses 10 through 12. They say, Just as my hand has reached the kingdoms of the idols, chose carved idols are from Jerusalem and Shomron, so shall I do to Jerusalem and her idols. That's uh, Azamra on verses uh, 10 through 11 of our chapter right here. It's uh, interestingly, Rashi comments that we learn from here 
that the wicked Israelites used to provide the images of their idols to all the nations around about them. Okay, that's interesting. It's interesting to me that Yah is still, to this day, speaking through Yeshua's, Yeshua's mouth. Yah is. He isn't here or there. He is here and there simultaneously. He is here with me, and he is there with my co-hosts, while riding with you in your car, or perhaps sitting on your kitchen counter while you prepare dinner, all you people in HNR. <laughs> Don't think you get away with anything, or that you aren't rewarded for your righteous acts. He keeps a perfect record. Our good works are always rewarded, whether here or in the world to come. They will be rewarded. Okay? Now, even when our marvelous edifices are, t are worn down or destroyed, Yah will see to it that his people receive better than they have lost. If not here, then in the world to come. He will not let righteousness go unrewarded, nor unrighteousness unpunished. When you are chastised, it is designed as a warning and as an opportunity to get it right. I wish that Sennacherib would have acknowledged Yah as master. I would love to be able to pick his brain, especially after my brain uh, is made whole again, or even better than it was in the Olam Haba. Maybe, may, rather, be that we may, uh, will meet. Not guaranteed, but maybe. And that is the point of verse 10. We will lose that the good that we have now, and we will be rewarded with that which is better. The answer to the question in verse 11 is yes. Let me see the verse 11 again. Hang on a second. I've got to get the Bible up here. Okay. Verse 11 says, Shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? Okay? <laughs> the answer yes. to the question in verse 11 is yes, and probably more so. Since Jerusalem is the seat of Yah worship, including the temple that MC Ken and I talked about at some length just a few months ago on TTRT. The intricate detail of the temple is amazing. Here's Azamra on verse 12, and I'll quit after this. But Elohim would not deliver Jerusalem into Sennacherib's hands, because he was nothing but a tool to be used to accomplish a specific purpose and then be discarded. And it shall be after Hashem has performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I shall punish the fruit of the proud heart of the king of Assyria. That's in verse 12. Yes. Rashi explains that Elohim's purpose in sending Sennacherib was to take vengeance on the ten tribes and on the sinners in the cities of Judah that he overran, and to cause such fear among the inhabitants of Jerusalem that they would be humbled, repent, and turn to Elohim. In other words, i.e., it was not to destroy Jerusalem. Likewise, Elohim's purpose in sending enemies against Israel and the Jews in our time is not to destroy them, but only to bring us to repentance with all our hearts. Are we getting pretty close? we got less than a minute. Go ahead, though. Okay, uh, I'll get it. And that is exactly correct. 
the Gog Umagog thing going on between Russia and Ukraine can be evaded by the world in general with a spiritual awakening in Ukraine, Russia, or both. The past few decades of history for both of these countries and the rest of the so-called believing world mitigates against that, but Yah is the one in control, and he may just give us one more awakening before he lowers the boom. He does not. We are toast. I'm storing the butter and jam just in case. Uh, well, Mariah that's a prudent course. Quickly. Yep. The prudent man sees danger coming. He prepares himself, takes precautions, hides himself, and so forth. So uh, uh, there is uh, no shortage of indication that that is something that we ought to consider. Uh, about ten seconds or so. Any anything uh, anybody wants to add before we uh, get there, and then when we come back, we'll read from verse twelve on. <laughs> I guess we'll uh, just go to the break. We'll be right back. And I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday. Sometimes I under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself and see if these things be true. I know All right, welcome back, folks, to the second hour now of the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Tanakh Edition. We're talking about the book of Yeshayahu the Prophet, or Isaiah, and um, some prophecies that uh, do sound a lot like they apply today, just as much as they did when ancient Israel was in apostasy, and in fact had been divided, northern kingdom already in exile, and the southern kingdom uh, en route. And um, certainly there look like uh, a number of parallels here. So, uh, verse 12, as we continue, says, Therefore... By the way, let me let me remind everybody where we're at when we see the therefore. Just as I've done to Samaria, he says, and all of her idols, hey, should I not do the same thing to Jerusalem and also her idols? So he's judged the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, your turn is coming. Therefore, it shall come to pass, when Jehoaz performed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say... I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. So uh, let me just comment here as we go through this uh, uh, a couple of things I will, I'll add. We, we've already mentioned that um, Yah uses pagan nations, and uh, oftentimes he points out that when he's done using them, he will judge them too. So the arrogant heart is due for a comeuppance, for he says... This is the king of Assyria he's talking about. For he says, by the strength of my hand have I done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent. Also I have removed the boundaries of the people. I have robbed their treasury. So I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant, or valiant man. My hand 
has found like a nest the riches of the people, and as one gathers eggs that are left, I've gathered all the earth, and there will be no one who has moved his wing nor opened his mouth with even a peep. So aren't I hot stuff? All that in a bag of chips, as MP likes to say. And uh, when I read this line here, verse 13, this is the last <laughs> comment I want to make. Then, then we'll go to Ray and let him add anything if he has anything. Um, but he says, um, by the strength of my hand, and anytime I read um, by the strength of my hand, I think, uh-oh, you know, there's comeuppance coming for that. In particular, we're warned in um, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, this is Moshe speaking, and he says, look, understand, there's one thing you don't want to say. And you uh, say in your own heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me all this wealth. Remember, it's Yahuwah that gives you wealth and the power to get wealth and all that. And uh, there does seem to be an element right. of haughtiness here, which is, uh, again, cruising for a bruising, I guess is one way to put it. Was that you, Mark, that was adding something there? It just added, amen. Okay. All right. Um, so I read through about verse 14. Ray, you want to comment on any of that? Uh, pretty much, you have pretty much hit the nail on the head with all of it. It's... Uh, it's a, an exceedingly transparent and egotistical uh, uh, rendering of, of what these rulers uh, sounds you know, familiar. What, what goes on? Yeah, what goes on in their heads? And uh, certainly, there are many, many that that feel this 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 very same way in in in, in centuries gone by and and in the current day. Uh, I think uh, what's coming up in in the next several verses also is just is is classic. It is. Uh, I don't I don't know if MP wants to make comments now or kind of get through this whole little section because at this point, uh, again, I, I I love how how Yeshua in this he'll he'll devote a dozen verses towards. Okay, Judah, here's here's what's in store. Here's what's coming. Blah 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 blah. Then he'll turn and he'll say, "Okay, Assyria, here's what I got to say to you, and what I'm going to do to you, and this and that." And he just keeps juxtaposing these things back and forth, back and forth. It's kind of like a, a great storyline where you hear, "Well, and meanwhile, back at the ranch, yeah." <laughs> then, then we move back to this group and, and back and forth. And if you don't, if you don't keep real careful track of where you are, it it can be really confusing as to who who he's. Uh, who he's talking about at that point, but clearly here he's uh, he's uh, he's letting Assyria know what what's what's coming for them. All right. Amen. Oh man, he's doing that because literally, literally uh, this is uh, this is Gog and Magog uh, that they're looking at. This is the this is the forerunner of everything that's going to happen in our not-too-distant future, and we may be seeing little bits and pieces of it right this very minute. That's, that's the, the, the thing that I'm going with uh, in this particular chapter. Okay, yeah. I really yeah. and truly think that we're looking at Gog and Magog, and we ought to be looking at this chapter and possibly the next in light of what's going on in our world today and make the comparisons because they are remarkable. Okay. Uh, yes, I, I I concur. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. okay, so I'm going to move on to verses 13 through 15 and also verse 17. I'm going to jump 16 for just a minute, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Go for Here it. Here we go. Azamra's input on verses 13 to 15. Now, we've read this already, right? 
Uh, we've read through, uh, through 14, into 14, correct. Okay, well, how about hitting on 15 and then 17, if you don't mind, because I'm going to hit on those. Okay, so we'll, we'll read there. a little further. Just only take a couple of minutes. Shall the axe boast itself against him who chops with it? Here's another. Uh, we've seen this reference throughout prophecy, right? Is it the tool yes. or is it the one that handles the tool? Or shall the saw exactly. exalt himself? Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, and I think it's important, too, to recognize that he uses similar metaphors so that we can't miss the point. And that's part of the reason why um, this is such great stuff, because, again, it should be clear. Or shall the saw, exa- the saw exalt itself against him who saws with it, as if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up, or as if a staff could lift up as if it weren't wood? Therefore, Yahuwah, Yahuwah Zevuot will send leanness among his fat ones, and under his glory he will kindle a burning, like the burning of a fire. So, it continues, the light of Israel will be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame. It'll burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. I'm going to read just a couple more verses, MP, because it, it continues the thought here. And it will consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body. And they will be as when a sick man wastes away, then the rest of the trees of his forest will be so few in number that a child may write them. All right, so we'll pause. All right, there you go, MP. Uh, pick it up from there. Okay, I'll cover 13 to 15 and 17. So here we go. <clears throat> Azamra's input on this, these four verses are, Having served his purpose, Sennacherib would be cut down in retribution for his overweening arrogance, which is depicted in verses 13 and 14. But shall the axe boast against he that hews with it? In verse 15, okay, the prophet emphasizes that Sennacherib is merely a tool in Elohim's hand and can do no more than Elohim gives him license to do. And the light of Israel shall be for a fire, and his holy one as a flame, says in verse 17. Here the prophet explains that it is that which kindled, that will kindle the fire. Wait a minute. Here the prophet explains what it is that will kindle the fire that will burn up Sennacherib and his mighty warriors. The light of Israel is the Torah to which Hezekiah devoted himself, while the flame is the righteous tzaddikim of the generation. That all according to Rashi, who's a pretty sharp guy. Anyway, Sennacherib doesn't worship Yah, so I can understand why he disses Yah. But this speech is arrogant against any powerful spirit being, much less the actual creator of all that exists. Atne ute eitbre, if you ask me. Okay? Uh, (laughs) Sennacherib knows that this... Yah is a real spiritual being, and that he can do all kinds of nasty things to his, that is, Sennacherib's body, without taking a deep breath. What he doesn't know is that Yah is the creator of everything, including Sennacherib's pet deity. Azamra has a good short observation on this. They say, having served his purpose, Sennacherib Uh, would be cut down in retribution for his overweening arrogance, which is depicted in verses 13 and 14. But shall the axe boast against he that hews with it, in verse 15? Okay? Yah is using Sennacherib as an axe to hew down all these nasty people. 
The prophet emphasizes that Sennacherib is merely a tool in Yah's hand and can do no more than Yah gives him license to do. The he that says is um, he that saith is Sennacherib. He doesn't believe that Yah can defeat his personal deity, so he continues in his arrogance. By the strength, uh, go my hand, by my wisdom, in my prudence. I have done all these things that gathered all of this wealth, and no one stopped me from doing it or even gave me to sweat. Now, what he told himself was arrogant to the extreme because his army did have something to do with his conquest of Yehuda. Without the rank-and-file soldiers, he was nothing. That's one of the problems with arrogant men who find success with the help of junior partners in their family business. Send a single general, the smartest tactician in the world, without an army, and he will do exactly squat. It's his leadership and knowledge of battlefield tactics that makes his army great. He is just one man, so that he will eventually be made so tired that he can't raise his weapon to defend and to go aggressive. If he does, he signs his own death certificate. On verse 17, Azamra has this, and I'll, and I'll end with this. Uh, and the light of Israel shall be for a fire and his holy one for a flame. That's in verse 17. Here the prophet explains that it is that, I'm sorry, what it is that will kindle the fire that will burn up Sennacherib and his mighty warriors. The light of Israel is the Torah to which Hezekiah devoted himself, while the flame is the righteous tzaddikim of that generation. And that's according to Rashi, and I agree with him 100%. And that's what I got through verse 17. Okay. Uh, Ray, how about you? You want to you add more on that? Um, no, I think actually that's that's pretty darn good. Okay. <laughs> I, well, thank you. I, 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 well, <laughs> I, I mean, your, I, I can blather on, but I don't know that you need me to do that either. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. That's good. No, I mean, sometimes, and I, I'm with you on this, some of this is just so clear it's hard not to uh, not to understand what he seems to be getting at. So, um He's uh, he's going to have his yeah, way with yeah. him, and, and uh, you know, thinking that you're hot stuff doesn't necessarily mean that you really are when you compare it with what the um, the creator of the universe uh, has to say about it. So here we go, and it'll come to pass, he says, in that day, that the remnant of Israel. There's that word again. Uh, the remnant. Who is the remnant? How much is the remnant? Lots of questions. The scripture gives us a lot of clues. But it'll come to pass on that day that the remnant of Israel. And, of course, the other question, uh, what Israel are we talking about? As you know, there are many ways that the word Israel is used in Scripture, and uh, many of them have uh, have application. So uh, we'll see as we go through this. Uh, so that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Yaakov. Okay, so Yaakov would mean all 12 tribes. I, I usually point out when you talk to somebody that's of the um, the Jewish religion, um, you know, rabbinic Judaism particular they will tend to say oh well that's that's um the jews and you'll hear that from a lot of christians and i think it it demonstrates a certain lack of understanding as to the nuance of what israel is and how it's used in scripture and in this case he does say specifically the house correct about that 
Okay, yeah. I uh, Well, I, I won't say anything. You're absolutely correct about it. When it says Jacob, it's talking about all 12 tribes. No two ways about it. Exactly. And even those who are grafted in, I would generally add, too. Um, but uh, sometimes, prophetically, we could be talking right. about something that applies to those who are literal descendants, so we'll see. But anyway, the house of Jacob, those who have escaped anyway, will never again depend on him who defeated them. But instead, he says, they will depend on Yahuwah, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant will return. The remnant of Yaakov... Now, there you go. Here's another word, and that word, of course, the Hebrew word is shuv there, to make teshuva, to return, turn around. Uh, it gets re- gets translated in lots of cases as repent, and uh, I have always contended that that's kind of a uh, a sad translation because most people in English don't understand what the word means, and that, that causes a lot of problems. This says they're literally going to return to the remnant of Yaakov, to the mighty Elohim. For through your people, O Israel, and although they be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. What's the root word there? The the word is zadika, and it has to do with uh, Torah obedience yep. and studying of Scripture and understanding of his word. So it will overflow with that. And uh, that would be a uh, a nice change, wouldn't it? For Yahuwah Zevuot will make a determined end. In the midst of all the land. All right. Uh, there we go. Let's see. Um, I know Ray said he was about ready, that he had some things he wanted to add when we got about here. Are we there yet, or you want to uh, comment on that, and then we'll go to Mark? Uh, just just basically, the one thing that, that I, I note in this uh, is that when we see the phrase, in that day or on that day, that, that seems, f- from my reading of Isaiah anyway, and I have to say that, that uh, I, uh, I, I, I have not read it as many times as I ought. Uh, but uh, when, I, when I see this phrase, this seems to be code speak for in the latter days, meaning in our day. Now, uh, admittedly, this little turn that happens right here, we, we read this, this brief, uh, we get this brief respite from what he's been telling uh, to Sennacherib and all the rest. And then later on, we will find at the end of the chapter, then in fact, he comes and, and does what he's supposed to do. But I think this little breath, this little vision here is, uh, is, uh, is Isaiah speaking to the, the final generation, to us, that, 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 that this, is, this is part of, not, this is the history that becomes prophecy. Uh, if you will, uh, and all that. And I, I kind of, I don't know how to put this, uh, it's kind of like for those of us that are, uh, live near the mountains here, we can look up at a mountain peak, uh, pick the one that you want, Long's Peak, Mount Evans, uh, Pikes Peak, any of them. And from the plains, you can, you get the vision of the whole mountain range. And you know, and you say, well, from here, I can see we're going up to that peak up on the top. But there's all kinds of little, peaks <laughs> there are all kinds of sub ranges in between what goes on and i think isaiah it many times paints with this big big broad brush of this is what i see coming for us well, in the final analysis this this is this is our fate this is what's coming for us he sees the he sees the very the, the great peak at the top the long's peak or the pike's peak or something like that and doesn't see the other little intervening uh uh, mountaintops and valleys that that are the, the the historical parts of how we get to that mountain peak. And, I'm being and, rather wordy. Probably. No, but just to add to that, that's I, that's what I see in it. 
to, to make your point, if you've ever climbed a mountain, uh, you know, Long's Peak or, uh, or any of the others, here we got lots of 14ers in Colorado, and I've, I've had the experience many times, uh, lots of the 14ers. What you'll find, the closer you get, yep. the harder it is to see where you're going. Because sometimes, you know, the peak is over there, Amen. but as you get up those little ones, uh, they obscure the peak, and it looks like, oh, we're almost there. And then you climb to the top of that, and you go, oh, no, there's four more on the way. Bummer. I'm not there yet. So um, we do have That's a very good point. <laughs> My son has climbed 40 of the 14ers. 54 in total. Yep. <laughs> he and his wife and his kids. The oldest one is eight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Well, very anyway. good. Okay. Um, so, Mark, so, you want to so – oh, Go ahead, Ray. My, my point with this is this is one of those places where we are – where Isaiah is providing – for the people then, uh, a, a view of, well, and, and, but, but here's some of the good news that's coming. But it's also, he's seeing the long view. He's, he's seeing the ultimate destination at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, he's seeing what's happening in the very near future and seeing what's happening at the end of days. There that's we go. Mean. God bless the person who can put things concisely. <laughs> okay. Well, our, okay. So Mark, me, go ahead. Let me pick up. I, I ended at verse 15, so I'm going to go back to 16 through 19 here. I'm going to comment on that, and then I'll let you guys add it, at me, as a matter of fact, because I may get something wrong. We've likely, been looking forward to that for quite a okay, while, you so know. Anyway, F.D. Meyer's commentary is very good here on verses 16 through 19. I'm going to share that all with you here. The capture of Jerusalem seemed as sure as the taking of a nest of eggs. The strongest barriers that the nations could oppose to his arms had fallen before the Assyrian king, and surely the Hebrew city should not escape. But Elohim had yet to be reckoned with in Isaiah chapter 10 and verses 16 through 19. The conception here is borrowed from a forest fire, which begins among the brushwood and presently consumes the loftiest and stoutest trees so would the fire of destruction be kindled during the attack on the holy city, which finally would involve the whole Assyrian empire. Let us not fear the wrath of man. Elohim makes some portion of it to praise him, and he restrains the remainder. Okay, so that's all. That's from uh, Treasury, or F.B. Meyer, rather. Now, verse 16 through 19. My, this is me talking now. Adonai Yatsevaot will send leanness among the fat. Send is from the Hebrew 7971, shalach, which means to send or move to a goal. Whatever it is that Yashalachs gets to where it is intended to go. In this case, he's making his fat sheep lean, and the implication is that he will make them lean by means of burning or melting away the fat, thereby making them lean. In other words, to use natural means, he would send a dearth of food for his sheep. But he is not just starving them to leanness, he is making it happen by his power. Exactly how kind of escapes me. But it could be of any source. The word translated burning twice is used, it's yakod, and it means to burn or destroy. Sounds like Yah is going to burn off all the fat and lots of muscle to make these animals leaner than lean. 
My impression is that one can see all the ribs and every bony joint. These animals will not have much of their net normal self-defense, the ability to flee, which is might which it might normally do by natural speed. But there won't be the ability to flee for very long without a normal supply of muscle. Okay, that's on verse 16. Verse 17 says that it is Yah who is causing the leanness by his own miraculous means. And I think that the light of Israel in verse 17 is actually Yah himself. For he is the light of Israel, and his Holy One is a flame. It is, this, is this the Holy One, Yah Yeshua? The word Kadosh, Kadash, both words are used in the verse, yeah. have the same letters, but the vowel pointing is a bit different. The word translated as flame is uh, um, H3852 uh, Lachabat, or Lachabat, believe it or not. The flaming head of a spear. This is definitely a weapon normally used for offense, not defense. Yah is going to enter the fight, if I don't miss my guess, and he will burn every thorn and briar of his garden so that there will be nothing to steal sustenance from his fruit. And I'm talking about his fruit will stay in the garden, okay, and, and eat the, the goodness of it. Now, verse 18, that's us, by the way, the fruit. Verse 18, which continues the subject of verse 17, has Yah, I think Yah Yeshua, doing the fighting for Israel. Do you see the mixing of metaphors in verses 18 and 19? There's a pretty cool cross-reference in the TSK uh, in Isaiah 37:36. here. It says, Then the angel of Yah went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they... Okay, well, we'll pick up there after break. We're at the uh, bottom of the hour. And I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know something. Teachers Roundtable to Knock Edition, and we're going to, I think, finish Chapter 10 of Yeshayahu, and uh, so much of this uh, that really ought to resonate. Anyway, when we went to break, we uh, interrupted MP, so let's let him finish, and then we'll continue and read the rest. All right, here we go. 
Okay, verse 17 says that it is Yah who is causing the leanness by his own miraculous means, and I think that the light of Israel, in verse 17, is actually Yah himself. For he is the light of Israel, and his Holy One is a flame. Is this Holy One Yah Yeshua? The word Kadosh, Kadash, both words are used in this verse, have the same letters, but the vowel pointing is just a bit different. The word <coughs> translated as flame is... Lechadash, um, a, a, a flaming spear, a flaming head of a spear. This is definitely a weapon normally used for offense, not defense. Yah is going to enter the fight, if I don't miss my guess, and he will burn every thorn and briar in his garden so that there will be no, nothing, to steal, uh, to steal sustenance from his fruit. Now, verse 18, which continues the subject of verse 17, has Yah, I think Yah Yeshua, doing the fighting for Israel. Do you see the mixing of metaphors in verses 18 and 19? There's a pretty mm -hmm. cool cross-reference in TSK here. They say, when the angel of Yah went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand, and when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. I love that verse. The English <laughs> grammar is so bungled it amazes me. <laughs> <laughs> and and when they arose, they were dead. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's just that's an amazing yeah. verse to me. I just, how did right. they get that through the censors? Anyway, <laughs> basically, when some other people got up in the morning, they went out there and they saw all these dead people. That's right. that's how it actually right. worked. Right. <laughs> I'm just being a smart Alec. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Verse. As a matter of fact, people call me Alec just because of that. Verse 19 tells us that there will be a dearth of trees so bad that a young child will be able to count them and write it down. We're talking yeah. a young child, a little kid, okay, will be able to count them and write it all down. That's what I got through verse 19. Yeah, that's 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 a wonderful turn of phrase there. Uh, when you actually, uh, with a lot of this, I... I when I can, I, I, I try to read the words, but I try to also create pictures in my head at the same time, because oftentimes I think m much of the poetry is imagery uh, yeah. uh, and all that. And when you see when you see, as you say, a very small child, three, four years old, that is counting on his fingers, you know, something like that. That's what that's the picture that I get. And, yeah, that's it's it, it's it's much stronger that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah, when they woke in the morning, they were all dead. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. Did anyway, you want to add anything, Ray, before we, move, we move on? on? No, let's uh, let's let's endeavor to get to the end of the chapter. Okay, I will read. Uh, it's going to be hard. I won't I'm, read. I'm all not of sure it. if we will or not, but let's let's at least. Okay. Therefore, thus says Yahuwah <laughs> all my people who dwell in Zion. Do not be afraid, fear not, the Assyrian. He shall strike you with a rod and lift up his staff against you, just like Egypt did, in the manner of Egypt, for yet a very little while, and the indignation will cease, as will my anger in their destruction. So uh, it's going to come. Don't sweat it. Continue. And Yehoshaphat will stir up a scourge for him, like the slaughter of Midian on the rock of Oreb. As his rod was on the sea, so will he lift it up in the manner of Egypt. So you've seen it before. 
you know, rest assured, you're going to see it again, something similar. And it'll come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Now, let's pause there. Because uh, that's a that's a good uh, uh, as as uh, Ray said, it's a good metaphor, and it certainly uh, shows us what's coming. Um, Ray, you want to go ahead? No, that's all right. Go on. Well, MP, did you oh. want to add anything there before I read on, or we want to continue to read? Uh, let me let me cover a little bit of that. Um, yeah, uh, Zammer has this to say about uh, verses twenty to twenty three. Did I already read this? I don't think so. Um, and it shall yeah, come to pass okay. that day that the remnant of Israel and those of the house of Jacob that escape shall no more rely upon the one that smote them. Okay? They, they finally realized, uh, by verse 20, that uh, the Assyrians are not their friends. This verse begins a new short uh, section of this prophecy in verses 20 to 23 depicting the repentance that would come about as a result of the miracles Elohim would perform with the overthrow of Sennacherib. This would teach the nation to rely on him alone instead of turning for succor and support to the very nation that was striking them. Likewise, we hope that Israel will soon be cured of the malady of placing its hopes on an ally that constantly pursues policies which have the effect of undermining the nation's security. And uh, that would be the United States of America. Amen. Uh, and, that, and that's my coverage for verses uh, 20 to 23. If you'd like to uh, jump in, you're more than welcome. Go ahead, Ray. Ray? I'm just, I'm... I'm... No, no I, I pretty much, that, 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 that says it for me. Okay. Okay. Let me uh, let me do another paragraph on about seven or eight verses. How far did we read, Mark? Uh, I read through um, twenty-eight uh, up to twenty-eight. Up to twenty-eight. Okay. Well, I'm uh, all right. Let me uh, let me try this. In verses twenty-four to thirty-two, and I'm not going to cover all of that. Isaiah prophesying in the fourth year of King Ahaz, uh, 26 years before Sennacherib's advance on Jerusalem, foretells that he would be overthrown through a miracle that would bear uh, comparison with the overthrow of the Midianites in the time of Gideon and that of the Egyptians in the Red Sea, in verse 26. And it shall be on that day that his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the oil. In verse 27. Okay? On one level, the oil refers to Hezekiah, uh, Elohim's appointed, anointed king, rather. But our sages, the Israeli sages, darshaned that it alludes specifically to the fact that Hezekiah kindled oil in all of the synagogues and study halls bringing the people back to the Torah. What did he do? He struck a sword over the entrance of the study hall and said, everyone who does not devote himself to the Torah will be stabbed with this sword. They checked from Don to Beersheba, 
but could not find a single ignoramus or a single boy, girl, man, or woman who was not fully conversant with the laws of purity and impurity. And that, by the way, is according to Sanhedrin, chapter 94 B. Okay, so that's what I got for those verses. That's, that's the overview for 24 to 32. Okay. Uh, Ray, you want to comment now or you want to continue to read? I think, I, no, I, I think to be real, real honest, I mean, we, uh, I think it would probably make more sense if we can get, uh, if we can get down to the end of, of 10 today and then we can go back and catch some loose ends. That's, that sounds good. So you don't have many verses to go. Let's do it. Okay. So he's come to Aeth and has passed to Migron. At Mikmash, he has attended to his equipment. They've gone along the ridge. They've taken up lodging at Geba. Ramah is afraid. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Lift up your voice, O daughter of Galim. Cause it to be heard as far as Laish, O poor Anatote. Uh, Madmenah has fled. The inhabitants of Gebim seek refuge. As yet, he will remain at Nob that day. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. So here's the last couple of verses here in the chapter. Behold, Yahuwah, Yahuwah Zevuot. Now notice, it's, uh, it says behold, and um, uh, and by the way, it is the Lord here in this case. Adon is the Hebrew word, yeah, but Yahuwah Zevuot. Yeah, it's Adon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yahuwah Zevuot, so the real name is used as well. He will lop off the bow with terror. Those of high stature will be hewn down, and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. Okay. Uh, all right, Ray, let's let you uh, start to uh, to connect all the dots here for us. There's uh, there's lots of place names and, uh, and uh, people names in there, so um, take us where you'd like. Well, basically, uh, there are a lot of place names, and I'm not sure that uh, I can identify those two uh, uh, spots in, in modern-day Israel. Um, trying to think here, Migron, uh, that's a, a little village that's up near Mikmash, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is, I think, Mikmash is, what, seven, ten miles, something like that. North of Jerusalem, it's mentioned uh, in uh, several other verses in Samuel and Ezra and and, and so on. Um, Geba is also near Mikmash. Uh, Ramah, uh, Ram, Ramah, might be Ram now, is uh, also north, just north of Jerusalem. Uh, Gibeon again. All of those, all of those are just in in the the. Uh, would be slightly north of, of of what I would call the Saddle of Benjamin, the area that's just north of the of the current city of Israel. So right. so <laughs> the the inhabitants of Jerusalem can can see the <laughs> it's like the old West movies where the the people in the wagon train would look out and on the ridge you'd see nothing but Indian headdresses <laughs> lined up against the uh, the sky. Yeah. That this is this is I think. The picture that's being painted here is, you know, you've you've come this close. They are almost in uh, knocking range on the doors of Jerusalem, and, and and unless I've kind of missed some of my geography there, which is not my strong suit uh, here, but I, I think that's pretty much where all these place names are. 
Okay. They are close. They are close, and yet the the Lord says that that He will He'll 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 chop them down there with terrifying power. Um, you know, so that's that, that's that's something to be mindful of. <laughs> All right. Let's see. We've we've read through the end of the chapter. Is that correct? That is for me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in verse in verses twenty two to thirty four. Isaiah, prophesying in the fourth year of King Ahaz, 26 years before Sennacherib's advance on Jerusalem, foretells that he would be overthrown through a miracle that would bear uh, comparison with the overthrow of the Midianites in the time of Gibeon and that of the Egyptians at the Red Sea. That according to verse 26. Uh, Verse 26 says what? And Yahtzebaot will stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Horeb and his rod upon the, as upon the sea. So shall he lift up, lift it up after the manner of Egypt. Okay, so that's what they're talking about right there. Verse 26. Right. It shall be on that day that his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the oil. Oh, that's interesting. The oil? There's nothing but oil over there. (laughs) On one level, this oil refers to Hezekiah, okay, Elohim's anointed king. But our sages darshaned, and I'm I'm quoting Azamra here, our sages darshaned, um, they thought it out, that it alludes specifically to the fact that Hezekiah kindled oil in all the synagogues and study halls, bringing the people back to the Torah. What did he do? He stuck a sword over the entrance of the study hall and said, everyone who does not devote himself to the Torah will be stabbed with this sword. They checked from Don to Beersheba, but could not find a single ignoramus or a single boy, girl, man, or woman who was not fully conversant with the laws of purity and impurity. That according to Sanhedrin 94b. Right. I think that's just wonderful. <laughs> You're here to learn this stuff, and you are going to know it like the back of your hand. If you don't, this sword is going to wipe you out. Yep. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to quit right there. That's uh, 24 through 27. Okay. Um, Ray, you want to add anything else? We've got about six minutes. We can go ahead and uh, and summarize some of this, or we can uh, we can continue on into the next chapter. We'll we'll leave it up to you guys at this point. Well, well, uh, not that I'm driving this bus, but uh, once we get into eleven, there begins a very very famous uh, 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 verse that shall come forth to shoot from the stop of Jesse. Of course, we we all I'll, I'll begin to recognize all those verses, so it might be good for us to uh, kind of expound on that stuff next next go round and and all this. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I guess uh, going back to a point that MP made earlier today, if if this these verses are written for our instruction today and all of this, and we are looking at what is currently going on in Samaria. Right now, uh, especially so with the uh, the settlers that are there in their villages, 
uh, as was uh, uh, was mentioned, that men of uh, you were talking about the the people in Ukraine earlier, uh, yes. MP, but uh, uh, also I've been in touch with uh, friends that we have that uh, are living in the land over there uh, on, in uh, up near Mount Carmel and all of that. They have uh, they're in touch with all these uh, people who are basically all the the men of fighting age have emptied out of the villages and the places in Samaria because they're fighting with the IDF. They've mobilized yeah. and they've left. And there are women and there are children and there are older men and older women that are basically there uh, trying to trying to defend their homes, uh, trying to watch and see what's going on and this sort of thing. And and again, we get this picture of this this wave uh, wave of destruction that's moving its way south towards Jerusalem, and and again we see, I think we see a, a lot of this same sort of warning. They have not had the slaughter, obviously that uh, that, that could happen. Uh, praise praise the God of Israel, but it's a really really tense time there uh, for the for the folks that are in the the uh, communities in Samaria. And they're they're surrounded, uh, yeah. you know, at this point. So it's 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 a they're certainly feeling <laughs> feeling this. I'm certain. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, the uh, my uh, my daughter-in-law's um, brothers, all three of them, got some leave this past weekend. Well, they got to go home and see their see their families for a little bit. Oh, how so wonderful! Yeah, we haven't we haven't had any uh, any uh, uh, backlash in, in that particular sense, anyway. Um, so, but they but they had to go back yesterday. You know, they had to go back to work, and <laughs> so they're they're back. And 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 that war is going pretty much all over that nation now. It's mostly yeah. on the West Bank, and it's mostly in Gaza, but they're having troubles all over the place, and uh, it's 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 not good. Yeah, it's not yeah, good I, at all. Yeah, I, I'm aware of of some uh, fundraising efforts that are going on, uh, and uh, I will have the exact citation this next week uh, if it's permissible to give it out. But uh, I don't have it at my fingertips now. But for folks that are looking for ways to help. That there's an organization that at this point in time is providing, uh, flashlights, night vision, uh, uh MVP, all the, huh? all yeah. the kinds of things to, and, and to, to make them available to the people in Samaria to be able to, uh, in to in be able words, to, to take care of themselves in the absence of the fighting men. Right. In other words, those who are not yeah, part of the yeah. Taliban and don't have access to the Biden Fuhrer's dump of, uh, of uh, high-tech military equipment that was given to terrorists as opposed to the people there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, it's, it's a good cause, and I'll, I'll have some info next week for any that, uh, you know, uh, have the heart to, to do that sort of thing. I know that there, there are a number of, of very good uh, – uh, places that you can donate if you do have the heart to do such a thing, uh, and and I'll have I'll have some information available next week. So if people yeah. want to to donate to causes where ninety seven per ninety seven cents out of every one hundred gets actually to the people that you'd like it to go to, 
these are pretty good, that's pretty good, good organizations, and I vetted them, and and they that's a good they, they do a fabulous job. So I'll, I'll bring that information next week. Yeah, All right, please. that sounds fabulous. Okay, and uh, that is good because we will be back next week. I I want to make one more comment again, just so that we don't necessarily fall into the trap of thinking, oh, it's over there, and this is maybe prophetic stuff that affects um, Israel per se, but um, you know has nothing to do with us and so forth. Uh, remember that uh, we are still in exile. We have been scattered. Uh, this prophecy that we're reading here, and uh, I do believe that they're cyclical, that they, they rhyme and that we see cycles repeat. But anyway, this prophecy essentially yes, was indeed. about things that were going to happen, and y'all are going to be scattered. Moses told us that, and here we are. We are still scattered. We're still in exile. Northern kingdom is still scattered throughout every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Same thing goes for uh, for Judah. Some have gone back to the land, but they're not necessarily there by his invitation uh, that remains to be seen but but the point i want to make is this he talks in here about the remnant and references remnant several times well the remnant is among those who have been scattered i would uh, like to contend that we are of that remnant and need to be aware of that and that uh, ultimately when we see another fulfillment of some of the elements here um, don't think there a second that it doesn't necessarily include those who are of israel but may not be physically in the land that's called israel because remember there is a greater exodus a greater regathering uh, even than the original exodus that we um, i believe and pray yes. uh, will We'll see. So um, let's not lose sight of the fact that oh, while absolutely. there, yeah, go ahead, Ray. You've got about uh, a little. No, over no, a minute. no, go, go, no, no. I'm, I'm just agreeing with you. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Well, so so we'll pick it up here and we'll talk about chapter 11 next week. As you mentioned, there are some other prophetic elements that are going to be tied together. But the thing I want people to continue to to understand, pray about, and and be wary and watchful about is that uh, so many of the things here that we're seeing, yes, they apply specifically to the land and they apply to Israel or wherever they may be. That might and, and should include us if we are grafted in and uh, or if we have uh, blood relationships or both. But um, the other thing is that the, the the tools of judgment also apply. And you can't, I think, avoid the fact that when you look at uh, modern-day Israel, um, modern-day Egypt, modern-day Babylon, the greater Babylon metro area, so much of that applies to those of us who are not necessarily in the land but are still following and doing some of the very same things. We have some of the same kind of spiritual leadership, wickedness in high places that we've always had. Okay, uh, anybody want to take the final 20 seconds or so till the music? <laughs> nope. Okay, Ray. Anything well, I, I, I will just, yeah, I'll just mention that when, as as uh, Yeshayahu was talking about the remnant, he makes reference back to Abraham and the sands. This, your descendants will be like the sands of the sea, you right. know. And, and the the, the, the grains of sand are the same the world over. All right. Well, hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it once again. And uh, we'll pick it up at 11 next week. Thanks, folks. Shalom.